How are you? How are you doing, man? Uh, still lacking sleep or catching up? I don't know, man. Like, I, I, lacking sleep. Lacking. I'm not doing my biohacking. I'm actually in my in my house now, so you won't hear all that background noise. I want to try to sneak in while doing the show, um, and that means for me to skip biohacking means my life is in shambles. Um, but um, I, yeah, I'm like doing that, 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 that sleep. <laughs> that 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 war is just getting. Uh, Getting weirder and uglier. It's uh, just uh, crazy days. Yeah, it seems uh, even more so than potentially in the past. It feels like it's really, really, really hard to vet uh, what's true, what's propaganda, what's really happening. Um, it's and, impossible. And it's impossible. It's impossible. And um, I think that there's more consensus, like just general emotional attachment obviously to either side that's driving that aggressively. So I think really, really tough job you're trying to do. Yeah. And the market's virtually uh, impossible to understand this without taking on a certain lens. I think that's the problem, you know, and then you have that lens. Um, but the, the markets, uh, I like today's title pre having dump canceled. Who, who came up with that title? Uh, I, think it was, I think it was the team. We have a team, sir. We, have a team, sir. we, they work. Oh, we sleep, they work, sir. Who yeah, sleeps? A, what is that? That's that. a pretty, pretty cool, uh, pretty cool title. I'm supposed to go um, see Gareth tomorrow, but uh, that's in jeopardy with with my daughter, unfortunately. But I'm actually supposed to go down and and uh, hang out with Gareth uh, at his office at his studio tomorrow. Mm. Um, yeah, Gareth. Uh, uh, I bet it's, it's very been a cool. While. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, guys. How are you guys hanging in there? Good man, good. If you, it would be a lot better if you confirm that the pre-having dump has been officially cancelled. We're waiting well, for that official confirmation from you. Hold on, hold on. I, I did, I did a show today. I did a show today, and I said, look, it's a tug of war between the pre, the pre. It's with, you, you got to pick your your back. You got to pick your your fight here. Either you believe in the halving cycle, which I think we should talk about today, the, the halving cycle narrative, and we'll talk about the pros and cons today. Or you believe in the ETF narrative, but the two contradict each other at the moment. So we've got to make a decision which one you believe in. And I think that's what we should spend our time about today is, like, is talking about the halving cycle, the merits of the halving cycle, and then comparing that to the ETF uh, thesis for uh, a bull market and then kind of like decide which, which side of the fence do you want to be on. Man, I believe you can I, – I love that conversation because I will aggressively take the opinion that you can believe in both. I disagree that you have to well, choose one or the other, well, but no, we can get into really, that. Not really because the halving cycle, if you believe the halving cycle narrative, then you believe that there's going to be a 20 to 30% dump before we pump. If you, believe in the, if you believe in the ETF narrative, you believe that there's a maximum of 84 days for the ETF to be approved and then – you know, you kind of imagine in the next 84 days, there's no reason for 20 to 30% dump if you think that the numbers are going to be anywhere where they're going to be. And I did a show today and broke down how the numbers get to $75,000 of Bitcoin. It's a very conservative estimate um, if the numbers are in. We can, we can spend this, this uh, spaces talking about it. Um, yeah. Mario, I must ask you a question. You did a, you've done a lot of coverage around this war and... Yesterday, we had a very, very, very unfortunate incident. I don't really care what side of the fence that you sit on, but I think the, the bombing of a hospital where there's sick kids and, and families and, and stuff like that is, is an absolute, 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 absolute disaster. Um, now, my question to you is having hosted spaces and being on both sides, who, bombed, who do you believe bombed the hospital? Was it an Israeli attack? Was it a failed Hamas rocket or was it something completely different? I have no, as I said yesterday, I, I can't, you can't know till you see the data today. Um, but I just woke up two hours ago. I haven't been able to look at the data. There's apparently US intel that says it's, a, it's not Israel. So I'm guessing they're implying it's Islamic, uh, the Islamic Republic. There is uh, some a fo a footage that Israel released that the bomb, itself, bomb it's, the, the hospital itself wasn't bombed. It was the parking lot next to it. I haven't gone through it. This is me briefly looking at the things that my team posted on my account. And there's also uh, an analysis. The only thing I do is there's an analysis last night. The last one we posted was geolocation experts 
um, that uh, that used a video to point out that it was a misfired rocket. And then we've got another the other side of the story of uh, uh, two other analysis reports that show that the size of the crater just shows it's a big bomb that Hamas doesn't have or Islamic Republic doesn't have. So it's like conflicting reports. I have no idea, but it's just tragic. It's just uh, it was a sad day That's yesterday. Tragic. You know, you know, it's also absolutely tragic is that the problem is that a lot of the sources, the new sources we're getting are, so I think the social media is becoming the battleground for the, for the narrative. And the problem with social media becoming the battleground for the narrative is that you're getting extremes. So, you know, like the, the one, it, social media works in extremes. And unfortunately, what you're getting is you're getting extreme on the one side and extreme on the other side. And so you, you, it's very difficult to understand what's actually going on. And I'll, I'll give you like, you know, like I, I listen sometimes to your spaces and then I, I have to, to uh, Suleiman's spaces. And I mean, that's extreme. Like, you know, for sure, when you're listening to a spaces hosted by Suleiman, that that's completely, completely uncredible, completely, completely, completely the bias, trying to create narratives of, of genocide. Now, I'm not saying he's, whether he's, you know, whether they're right or wrong. I'm just saying the problem is that you've got these extremes. And for the, the average person, the problem is that you're going to fall into one echo chamber of, the, of these extremes. Yeah, I, I try my best to be uh, on a personal level. I'm extremely objective about everything. Like I, I don't uh, any topic in the world. I rarely have an opinion. I've been raised that way. But from other spaces, of course, there's extremes on both sides. I haven't listened to any other space because I'm just too busy doing my own. And I try to, tr you know, walk that line very carefully. And I know I walk it carefully when both sides criticize me. So I get criticized by the obviously the, the pro-Palestinian side. Um, for being biased and obviously the, the pro-Israeli side for being biased. So when both sides criticize me, I'm like, oh, cool, I'm doing something right. Now, when one side praises me and the other side criticizes me, that's when I start worrying that I'm not being objective. So uh, I think with this one, I've been criticized by both sides pretty equally. So I'm, I'm happy with the results. And this is one of the most polarizing topic topics when it comes to geopolitics. Um, and so it's something I've avoided cover. I barely covered maybe twice before this war. Um, when there were there were protests, uh, in, I think there were clashes in uh, in Gaza, and uh, there was a, a few rockets to Lebanon as well. That was a few months ago. It's like the last time we covered it, and it was one of the most difficult spaces. And now with this war and the risks involved, I don't know it's unrelated to crypto to, in most cases, but at the same time, like if it does spread to Lebanon. I mean, I, I, this 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 makes it extremely concerning from a global perspective. If it doesn't, that means it will be contained to to the current borders. Um, and and then to link it to crypto, I know I saw the the the, the whole narrative of flight to safety that Larry Fink talked about yesterday, and he referenced the war, uh, among other things. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see whether events like this end up being a positive, a net positive, or a net negative when it comes to crypto. Maybe a question I can ask to you now. Um, what, how do wars like this, instability like this, how does that impact the market in your opinion? Is it a risk asset type impact or is it a flight safety impact? Uh, I'm starting to get very worried about uh, the United States, to be honest. I mean, I've been, look, I think they've taken a side. Um, they've, they've clearly taken a, a side in this, in this battle, in this war. And they've um, sided very much with Israel. They've sided very much with Ukraine. There is another, you know, Russia, which has taken the other side, China, which has taken the other side. It's clear that the tensions in the Middle East are causing tensions all around the world. Putin's using this as a weapon. You know, like, it's, he's making this a U.S.-Russia, U.S. versus Russia-China situation. I don't know. It, you see that rates are going up in the U.S. like crazy. Um, I think the 10, the 10 years, 4.8 again, 4.8, 4.9 almost. On the, on the tenure, you've got U.S. debt spiraling out of control, and you've now got them fighting wars on multiple fronts, which all require money. I mean, Ukraine's been getting 20 billion, 10 billion. Now there's a there's 100 billion um, on the table. Israel's, you know, potentially going to get its first 10 billion. I think it's not, it's going to be the first of, of many. I just don't see how the U.S. continues this on interest rates that, that keep going up. And potentially, you know, like potentially keep increasing. So, it, like, I know that the U.S. is probably the cleanest, dirty shirt in the in the laundry, but I'm starting to get a little bit concerned about where the U.S. is. And given the fact that they've got such 
incoherent leadership. Like they've got no leadership. You need a very strong leader in a time like this where you're fighting multiple wars and multiple fronts. Um, and I think that, you know, when you've got Joe Biden, who's struggling to put a sentence together, who's, who, you know, has to take deep breaths before he talks. Don't know if that's, I don't know. I don't know if that, if that's, if that's the best place to be. Yeah, I'm bullish when it comes to the US, but obviously I could be wrong. I still think that the system is working pretty well. And we are seeing democracy in action. And democracy is very, very, very imperfect. And, you know, we, we, we like to preach decentralization. Um, well, this is a decentralized political system. While it might look slow, it might look clunky, uh, it's still relatively decentralized. And I, uh, you know, I prefer a system like that than a system like, let's say, China, for example, which is working really well right now, but that level of centralization scares me in the long term. That's my two cents on it. Um, and, and when it comes to the regulatory landscape in, in the US, again, in, 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 in relating to crypto, again, um, we're, saying, we're seeing what centralized powers does, and that's obviously Gary Gensler and the SEC. But we're also seeing the democratic system, the court system, um, play its role and, and, and push back against the SEC. And we've seen a few wins recently. Um, and I'm not really as bearish as many people are about the US landscape when it comes to crypto, um, even though I'm based in Dubai. So I, uh, I'm more bullish than you, Ran, but obviously I could end up with egg on my face. With the actually, before we go to that's panel, what, what, that's what, what, where does Scott stand on this? Being the only guys out of us, out of us three, on the United out of us three, United. we got one in Dubai, one in South Africa, telling telling you, Scott, what we think of the U.S. Uh, where are you? Are you in the middle? More bearish? More bullish? I I I I, I pinged Gareth privately while you guys were talking and said, uh, "Get me out of here," sarcastically. <laughs> but uh, these conversations make me cringe because uh, uh, you know it, it's really hard to to voice an opinion without obviously getting largely attacked. I can tell you this, when you guys were talking about the war, I and you can tell it in my tweets, I long for a time when we used to discuss what we thought were facts and not the opinions of the quote unquote two sides, as you discussed. Like, I, I think that the velocity of information, the ability to utilize that, weaponize that information has become, has made it effectively impossible to discern what is a fact and what's true. And, and going into the election, if we want to talk to the United about the United States, I literally can't imagine the deep fakes and fake news and how that's going to proliferate and affect the election moving forward. I, I think we're in almost a post-fact world, and, and I find it really disturbing. You know, as powerful, and I think as having this like nonstop information always in our face, what's happening, what the war is, like my now a cautious approach is like, I'm just going to wait 24 hours to comment on anything until it actually settles. And that's obviously not something you can do when you're in spaces or in a, in a public forum. But I, I almost miss the like Peter Jennings, Dan Rather, uh, Tom Brokaw days of when you just uh, listen to the news for an hour and then you could detach because you went home and there was no social media and there was no phone and no computer and no internet, and nobody bothering you. And you could actually just you know decompress. I, I find the velocity of information and the amount that's happening to be impossible to parse. And so then that I think carries on to the analysis of markets and what's happening with the United States. I mean, I'm very bullish on the United States. Uh, I don't think I'm, I'm in the middle. I think that, uh, yes, we have a reckoning coming economically, but uh, that, you know, if the dollar falls, it's the last to fall, right? If, if we have major problems with the dollar, then everything else has gone first, in, in my humble opinion. So nobody should be cheering for that. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that uh, Mario's point was correct. As imperfect as our democracy is, it's, it's probably the, the best uh, example that we have still. And I think that uh, it's very natural in these massive pendulum swings to get disillusioned and think that it's over and everything's dying, going to zero. Anyone who's ever traded or been in markets knows that feeling. It's the same for everything. And I think that the pendulum has just far, swung way too far in, in one direction on basically all things America. And naturally, it's going to come back and uh, and uh, things will become more rational and, and normal again so you've got uh, you've got um, uh, a um, sell Sally Mayweather at Sally Mayweather sell the agorist the agorist um, uh, account and it says what would you do if you had a hundred billion dollars and then they've got like a Joe Biden would long it says two proxies at the same time Jeff yeah I mean but 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 there's nothing new there 
right? I mean, yeah. when was the United States not beholden to the uh, to the war machine, right? I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but uh, this is not like everybody, you know, I think there's a lot of younger people in crypto, obviously, so you see their takes. Um, and I think there's always a bias towards, you know, recency bias, but I just don't see, you know, I'm only 46, but the, I, I don't see anything particularly new here that we haven't seen over and over and over again before. And it's like people forget all of the wars of the past and situations and the money printing. Yeah, I, I think that uh, we'll find our way through it. But I don't think like we also need to be hyperbolic and hyper analyze every single thing as if it's the end of the world, which I think has become the tendency because everybody's so on edge and anxious as a result of, you know, 24 seven connection and and frankly, just being inundated with fake news. Yeah, I'd, I'd go to, guys, I, I want to go to Gareth. By the way, the US has been, um, you know, the, the dollar's been dying for like decades since I was a kid. Um, so just to... Literally, there's never been a time in my life where the dollar had just... Exactly, exactly. Imminently. Exactly. And I'm 46 years old. Um, so so let's, let's go to the, the panel. Um, Lloyd, I know you've been a lot of... Before going to Gareth, I'll go to Lloyd because I know I've seen you in a lot of the spaces. You've been listening to things. And I uh, want to get your thoughts on the discussion. I'm kind of linking it to crypto. What does that mean for crypto uh, from a flight to safety type perspective? Um, is that going to happen as the world gets more and more unstable? And then kind of linking it to the regulatory, la regulatory landscape uh, here in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, that, I think a lot of it's going to like it's going to play out a lot lo slower and longer than anyone you know really thinks. And you know, there's a lot of truth to that, right? It's like you you don't want to be an Austrian economist who's eventually right after they die, right? So I mean, there's there's a reckoning somewhere, and it's and there isn't some currency that's like laughing and it's Austrian because it's got great tokenomics, you know, it's like the whole thing goes down together. And then the hope I think for, for people is that once the powers that be have destroyed good money, well, well now we have something else to jump off to. And, but that doesn't mean that that's going to look very good. And I think the U S is pretty well poised, you know, in, in terms of uh, intellectual firepower and all that good stuff to, you know, to, to do pretty well in a great reset versus anywhere else. So I'm definitely bullish on the States, um, but what I did, what I want to say about the other, so I did listen to a lot of your spaces about the conflict and I genuinely think it's actually hard. And I like, so I apply, basically apply Hanlon's razor to the whole thing. And I find that everyone has to, it's almost impossible to learn about the conflict without getting that information from some lens. And then once you're in that rabbit hole, very hard to get out. So like, if you were on a, if you actually had a task of, you know, intellectually, summarizing the whole thing and, and, you know, let's say coming up with a solution, you would have to be doing that for years and have a PhD. And like the way that people sort of get a summary overnight or in a couple hours or whatever it is, and then have a strong opinion, it's tough. I don't blame them. Right. And so it, it, it's hard to be neutral. The whole world is getting as forming an opinion and that's a scary time. So my parents are, um, American and I'm Canadian. So what's interesting about that perspective, I think, is that they got me really hooked on the core values and, and sort of the first principles and that as, a, as a child. And then as I grew up watching it play out from a distance, I was very confused, right? Like, I was like, well, that's not, you know, we argued about the Iraq war when they thought it was a great idea, you know? So and what's interesting to me now is I had an idea back then that the right liked war more, but now it's like, oh, wait, now it's the left with Ukraine, but now it's going to be the right with Israel. And like the only thing I come out knowing is that the right and the you know red and blue disagree, but I don't know what their core principles anymore are, and that and that's why I think things are so in flux. People are sort of picking things up based on what they you know hear, and they're like, oh yeah, I like that idea, but no one's really even going back to the first principles, and we're so high up, it's so far from ground that I don't even know what. It looks like coming coming down from there. No, I think so. somebody tweeted at me yesterday. I can never tell if you're a Democrat or Republican, Scott. And I was like, good, that because I'm neither. <laughs> I'm, well, registered I think, on, I'm registered unaffiliated. Well, Balaji calls us gray. You know, it's like tech. We just care about building stuff and, you know, some fiscal libertarian concepts as well. But, you know, it's the principles of the Internet, which are like open source and all sorts of things. I mean, I'm not going to paraphrase him, but. He sees it as red versus versus blue, and then sort of gray got got tossed out of blue when when they went after Elon and destroyed Silicon Valley, and now gray is sort of on its own, sitting with you know a, a cool trillion. Not sure. What yeah, I, I speak with him quite frequently, and he definitely has an impact on my on my on my views on these things. I think he's a brilliant speaker. And Mario, I mean, maybe to sort of transition towards the topic, I know that we're going to talk about 
obviously the actual market and the market cycle. But I think since we ended up in this global conversation and war and, and talking about what's going to happen, I think that's important. And maybe Jason, you probably have some thoughts on this. But for those who obviously are Bitcoin believers, not those who are maybe maybe just trading the asset or, or looking for profit, but this is the first time in history you could argue that there is a way to opt out of this system potentially. It doesn't mean that it will come to fruition. It doesn't mean that uh, we'll be living on a global Bitcoin standard anytime in our lifetimes, if any time at all. But I do think that it's important to remind ourselves of the core ethos of why we are having a crypto town hall or talking about Bitcoin in the first place, because it is a way for many people, not for everybody, right, to sort of at least take a piece of what they have and put it into this alternative asset class, another market, a place where they at least feel like whether it comes to fruition, the narratives or not, but where they feel like they have the ability to opt out of this system to control their own destiny uh, and to maybe uh, just not be a part of everything that's happening in the world to some degree. Jason, I mean, I see you're harding and I, I know you would agree, but I, I think that like I said, I don't know that all of that will come to fruition. There's still narratives. It's still early. We're still young in this. But that is at least partially why most people, I, I would imagine, who are listening are here. Go ahead, Jason, and we'll go to Gareth just to kind of link it to the market. Okay, man. Yeah, well, just to, 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 to sort of uh, follow up on that, I mean, you're absolutely right in terms of how early we are. And it is no more than than an option. And it is the reason why people like myself are so excited about this and spend so much time educating people on it. It is only an option. It could be years, it could be decades. But to the point of what you said earlier about you know, the state of the, the, the US economy and, and the macro outlook, I mean, I'm very, very bearish on, on, on that whole idea and that model and where we're sitting at the moment. So the fact that we have an option even is a lifeline for for many many people and um myself included and i think that is the part that of this that will build over time and that was the only point i just wanted to make quickly because i know you've got uh, a whole bunch of uh, questions you want to get through yeah i do want to go to the gareth um you know you've always been on this space giving us market updates obviously i missed last week so you want to get your thoughts on the last 48 hours but it'd be good to get a more general update on what we saw last week and uh, the market over the last 48 hours, especially since the, the ETF news. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so the first thing that I'm seeing, and I'll just go start kind of right from this current point, is that the 10-year yield has just taken out the previous high made about 10 days ago. And we're seeing that now at, we're just about at 4.9%. And on cue, this little spike that we've seen over the last 20 minutes, the S&P 500 has started to come down pretty sharply um, and is now, you know, into pretty negative territory, about three quarters of a percent drop. Now, in terms of crypto, you know, crypto, again, is, is in a world of its own, meaning that we're not really seeing the reaction. You know, it's not a risk asset. It's not really a safe haven. I really think that the crypto markets are now beholden to this concept of of the spot ETF changing everything for for Bitcoin. And again, you can see it very clearly. Look at what happened on the rumor a couple of days ago or the fake news, I should say, um, and how it reacted. And then since then, we've had, you know, dollar up, dollar down, yields up, yields down, and, and Bitcoin hasn't really moved much. So so I think for me, it's, it's you know, you still stay with a positive view on that. I know you guys were talking about was, was the pre having dip canceled. I would say potentially it is, but that doesn't mean we're returning to a bull market. And I would also offer the thought process that this market could throw everyone for a loop and we could see, you know, maybe not a dip pre-having, but maybe after the having a dip. And that could really whip everyone out of this trade. I think we usually get a 20 to 25% dip sometime after the having, right? Uh, ben Callen was talking about yesterday. I'm not looking at a chart right now, but that's not uncommon because people realize that the having ends up not being a fundamental event for a few months after it happens, right? The, the, the minute the having happens, nothing fundamentally changes the supply changes that takes time obviously to 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 be built in yeah and 
And also there's like a tendency for people to load up ahead of the having anticipating that pop. And then when it, when it happens and there's kind of like this letdown period, it's kind of a sell the news event initially. Right. I mean, I think I, I agree with you that the having is like a fundamental change, which is over time. It absolutely is a benefit, but I, there's this kind of mental side to, to the crypto markets where people like expect the results instantaneously. Maybe we've all been conned into that because of like the Pepe's and these different, different massive moves in a couple days, but it really does take a long time to, to, to see the fundamentals kind of take hold. Okay, Scott, can I ask you a quick question? I mean, uh, 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 Ryan, just a quick question for you and Scott. Like, if you want to compare this to the last halving that we had, if it was identical, what can we expect over the next 12 months, guys? You want to go ahead, Ryan? I mean, if the halvings are identical, we're going to get a 30% drop between now and the halving, and then we're going to get a breakup, and then we're going to hit all-time highs one year after the halving, if they're identical. But I have a big problem. I have a big problem with this, uh, with this, um, with the halving thesis. And the big, biggest problem that I have with the halving thesis is we've only got two sets of data. We've got 2015 and we've got 2019. That's the, the two sets of data. Now, the one set of data we've got is 2015. And if you were around in 2015, you'll know that it wasn't a real market. There wasn't, there weren't many exchanges. It was very difficult to buy. It was just the launch of Coinbase. Etc. And I don't know how you can use that data on a market that is much more Rand, perfect. Really quick, yes. to be clear, that would be the third example because we have the having in 16 and 20. So the cycle of 15 would be the having from 2012. And I agree, that's completely irrelevant. Well, well no, I'm saying I'm saying that you're talking about the pre-halving year. So the pre-halving year, you've got 15, oh, right, 19, before having and 23. Two, right. Yes, that that makes perfect sense. Yep. So we we only have we only have two data sets of which one we know is unreliable. Because we know that you can't, the, I was around in 2015, there was no real market, there was no real altcoin market, it was very difficult to buy, most of the trades were happening OTC, the market was completely illiquid. That's not a market, that's not a market. So to, so to me, to me like, like when, when people base everything around the halving, guys, you have one piece of data, like you, you literally have one piece of data, which is 2019, and you're saying, we're going to copy 2019 exactly, and that's the part that, that worries me here. I think that's fair, and that's that's definitely worth worth noting. I I don't necessarily disagree, Mario. To the question of what would you expect, I mean, you would basically expect that that we kind of get a higher low at some point. But listen, we you know we had the I'm looking at the chart right now. Obviously, the low is in around fifteen thousand eight hundred something like that. We rose all the way to twenty five. Then we did come back down to nineteen five. So if you consider that as that drop before the pre having you could kind of have it both ways here, which was the point that I was going to make before. We have seen price go up relatively far, all the way to 31, down to 25. That was, what, a tw over a 20 right, percent drop right there. Those could also be considered the pre-having dump. So it's hard when you're doing this analysis to dig into exactly when or where that would happen. But I, I think the consensus generally that we were talking about is at some point you get one more major shakeout, Altcoins seem to be indicating that could happen, as, as Ben Cowan said. And then you kind of start to rise slowly into the having. Now, the last cycle, even to Rand's point, is the major data set coming into the, the third having there. And that had COVID, right, which gave the higher low. So you had the moves down to around 3,000, all the way up to 14,000, and then dropped back below 4,000 right on the, uh, you know, the COVID March 12th, everybody re remembers, of course. And if we're being intellectually honest, that was largely driven by a uh, effectively broken liquidation engine on BitMEX. And they had to literally turn the exchange off to stop Bitcoin from going to zero on that exchange because it was firing liquidation and sell orders into an empty into an empty order book. So a lot of that was also a result of sort of inefficiencies in the actual platforms in, in the market. So I guess we should probably dig into the actual topic at ham, which is, is this pre-having dump canceled? Rand, clearly you're kind of outside the narrative of the having at all. So you would say yes, correct. Well, I say you got to pick your fighter. Uh, you got to pick your, 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 your fighter. My fighter here is I'm going with the, with the narrative of the ETF, not the halving. I think that's a stronger narrative, which is a much, which is much sooner. And as a result of that, I'm saying, if you know that the ETF is going to be approved, or if your thesis is that the ETF is going to be approved sometime within the next 84 days, I don't see how we dip 30% when, you know, people are now starting to do pricing. People are now starting to do pricing analyses. 
um, around what effect the ETF can have. One came out from CryptoQuant, which brings Bitcoin on a conservative number to 74,347 after the ETF is approved. Now, you know, if, if that's your thesis, then I don't see how you go down 20 to 30% first. Unless Why not, a, though? A world We've cap. had 20 to 30% weekly candles in Bitcoin probably 50 times. I literally don't know how many times, but the, the, I don't think the 84 days that's... is a long time for Bitcoin to see 20% volatility at all. Well, not if you know what's happening after the 84 days. So, I, I, look, let me caveat that and say there's two things that can change that. One is a massive risk-off event worldwide, beginning of World War III, I don't know what, what you want to call it. Um, and the second one is, for some reason, the market believes that the ETF gets, is, going to get, is not going to get approved. So barring those two caveats, then I don't see how, I don't see how we, we drop down to 20% from here. I, I would say that the only way is because it's an illiquid market with almost no volume. And if someone decides they want to make a, money, a lot of money by doing that, they'll go ahead and do that, right? <laughs> which we've seen so many but times. There's, this but, there's a lot of, but there's a lot of buyers. There's a lot of buyers who are buying in anticipation of the potential ETF. So I just look, again, I say, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if there's going to be external circumstances. But if there aren't external circumstances, I struggle to see how it happens. Uh, that, that's fair. Mish, can I ask you a question? Because you, pro I want to know if you're listening to us and thinking that we are all dropped on our head as children. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And, and hi, first of all, I have not been on this space before. I so. know. We've been on the finance space a bunch of times. But, yes, but yeah, well, obviously, Dr. as somebody who's, you know, obviously exists outside of our uh, lovely Bitcoin echo chamber, when you listen to this, uh, what do you think of the cycles when you look at this or, or the way that we're discussing this? Okay, so um, a couple of things. Number one is, um, those of you who know me know that I had created what I called an economic modern family after all my years and years and years of trading equities, which I started out, by the way, for 14 years as a commodities trader. So I switched to equities when commodities died in the early 80s. Um, as a result of trying to explain that to myself, how the relationships worked vis-a-vis -vis the economy, I created this family with, with real characters. They're, they're real characters. I have depictions of them that can be found on our website. And I'm mentioning that because the newest character that joined the family was my Bitcoin or cryptocurrency character. And as an adolescent, the way I define it is that typical adolescent, it doesn't really know yet what it wants to be when it grows up. And I think that really sort of defines everything that we're talking about here, is that we just, in terms of the future, I, I remember when I heard about this 15 years ago, it was from my nephew, who was much younger, who bought Bitcoin at like $5 and said, this is going to be the future. Uh, banks will go the way of the dinosaur. Uh, people will eventually switch to using Bitcoin as a currency, more of a barter system, and fiat currency will no longer exist. And he said this 15 years ago. So here we are 15 years later. And Bitcoin has certainly had uh, an incredible run over the years, but yet we still have fiat currency. And like I said, we still don't really know what the impact of Bitcoin is going to be on not just the U.S. economy, but obviously globally. And of course, you can speculate, right? Because there's been stories not only of the ETF that everybody's talking about, and the supply, and then, of course, Ethereum and blockchain, but even this whole question of whether or not it's being used for evil, when actually that's, to me, the, the silliest conversation, because if you really want to talk about laundering, it's been fiat currency and not necessarily cryptocurrency. So I just wanted to give that backdrop. That's where I come from. The second thing that I come from, of course, is from a more technical standpoint, um, because I've been charting since, uh, well, since I could draw, basically. And, uh, and if you take a look at Bitcoin just this year, essentially, if, if, you, if you forget about the whole FTX crash and then the rally after that in January or that huge relief rally, what's interesting is that since February, Bitcoin and NASDAQ are both up about 23 to 24%. But what's made it so tough has been this incredible long-term consolidation for this entire year. So the volatility has been removed from it. And so I think that really basically at this point, it's been a buy the dip. So I'm not really worried when I see dips, I look at them as uh, oversold buy opportunities. 
And I think from a technical standpoint, we're in an interesting spot because if you look at it on a daily chart, it's over the 50 and the 200 day moving average. If you look at that one uh, fake news day, obviously that's a big bar that we've been trading inside. If you look at it on a weekly chart, <clears throat> Even though it broke back down under the 200 week, it's come right back to it. So really, you're talking about 28.5 as an incredible pivotal area. And that's kind of how I'm looking at it uh, right now. We have been looking at other things like coin on the basis of the potential of a spot ETF. Uh, Coinbase obviously would benefit from that. And then the other thing we've been looking at really is some of these um, uh, altcoins, the ones that have been outperforming this year that have been longer lasting altcoins like Solana and Link. Um, And so I think in the cycle, we'll start to see only a few of the top coins that we had before remain top coins with those two being probably the the supreme. And they've been outperforming. Also, they've been outperforming the... um, Uh, Bitcoin itself. So that's been kind of an interesting thing as well. So that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I think that we have uh, an opportunity here to be patient based on this consolidation. But we also have an opportunity, I think, to get really super bullish if we take out these current levels of consolidation, maybe probably if you really wanted to be safe over 29, 30,000. And I kind of believe what my nephew told me. I just think it's going to be a, a while before that happens. We can see the trend. People are so mistrustful. I mean, y'all, you want to talk about the, the, the major market here. Uh, and and my thoughts there, um, I've been really, really banging the, the, the hammer on commodities for the last three years. I started out this year predicting chaos, and here we are, uh, you know, regrettably, but yet here we are. And in terms of equities right now, I think it's miraculous that we're holding up as well as we're holding. And I don't think it has anything really to do with interest rates. I think that's why we got here. But at this point right now, I don't think the Fed's going to have much control if things uh, escalate as right now they look like they could. And the last thing I'm going to say about that is I try to say out of the political realm completely, but what has what I do like to look at is human nature. As a commodities trader, you kind of learn about human nature very early. And Bitcoin hasn't really decided yet either whether it's a commodity or an equity. I mean, that's the other debate. But in terms of the social trends, we've seen anger globally, and we've seen it because of many different reasons, obviously inflation, high interest rates being two of them, but also mistrust of government, realization that there's this divide that keeps growing wider and wider and wider. And so what happens in that environment is people will attach to an ideology Even if they don't necessarily know all the facts or even care if they believe it or not, it massages a place of anger. And that is, to me, the most dangerous trend that this current situation is only exacerbating. And that is not going to be good for the markets. It will be very good for certain commodities, particularly precious metals. And again, I don't really know 100% what it's going to be for Bitcoin, other than, like I said, at least I find some comfort in knowing between 25 and 30,000, we're consolidating, and whichever way it breaks, probably you should follow. Yeah, I mean, in my view, if we're going to be really simplistic without charts and talking to a big audience, it's kind of like 25, 28, 5, and 31 as the key levels. And, you know, you lose 25, start talking about 20. Don't make it complicated, right? Exactly. Yes. Keep it simple, stupid, as they say. K-I-S-S, KISS. It's, it's one of the best. <laughs> you, what you just described, I think, for global markets is really this, uh, you know, the old famous adage, markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent <laughs> um, yeah, type absolutely. of situation. Because I think uh, a lot of people are going to be right, but liquidated before <laughs> they are. Well, yeah. And also remember also, this is the most important thing I think to remember if we like to talk cliches here is, is, is square peg round hole. This is a square peg trying to fit into a round hole market. All the people that are coming out with the classic definitions, even in, in some ways myself in the comparison to the seventies, which clearly we can make that case for the history rhyming thing. You still have to be careful because everything is different. Everything is different. And then you have this fuel called social media, which makes things move so much faster than what they used to move. In the very, very beginning, 
was mentioned that, you know, pining, Wolf of Wall Street said pining for the good old days when you could just go home and watch the six o'clock news and then, you know, put on uh, whatever show you wanted to watch. And we don't have that opportunity anymore. This is also something that is fueling uh, not only anger, but the direction of the market. And, uh, and yet, of course, we know that eventually price does rule. That adage you can definitely take home to the bank. Do, do you think, um, Michelle, do you think that the, the social media makes the markets more efficient since information spreads a lot quicker or the opposite? It just allows misinformation to spread so quickly and it leads to inefficiencies. I'm just, I'm just wondering whether oh, we're getting question. closer to the, the, the official market, market hypothesis. Um, well, actually, I would probably say a little bit of both, right? Um, because you get the knee-jerk reactions, which creates a certain level of volatility. But yet at the same time, it also normalizes based on the fact that what, when, 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 the, when the knee-jerkers or the OTDEs or whatever you want to call them, when they leave, what's left probably is more about the truth of what things really are. And so there may be people, you know, it's so hard to know because I can only compare it to the commodities market when I was a trader on the floor in New York. And you had these orders would come in. And you would see then the locals speculating on that order, right? So none of this in terms of trading is really that new, uh, except on the floor, it was obviously more concentrated to the couple of thousand people that were down there. And then the clerks that were on the phone with brokers around the world, they would flood in from a speculative standpoint when a piece of news would come out. But then they would take their profits. But the piece of news, if it was really juicy and it really had an impact on the market, the deeper uh, orders that came in from speculators, but who also hedged the market, that would mean a more sustaining situation, whether the market would consolidate rally or break down. And I, and I don't see how that's really been very different, except for the speed of it. And of course, the breadth of it, because it goes out within nanoseconds. Are markets more or less volatile now compared to pre-Web 2.0? And the, the reason I'm asking is I'm just thinking how you know cryptos like it's like the equities markets or commodities markets on steroids in, in terms of the the speed of information and the markets being open 24/7. Um, so if you compare the commodities markets today to to let's say early 2000s or even the 90s, how does volatility compare? Well, actually, volatility has been. Uh, I, I think almost disappointing. I, I would have expected even, let's just take the current situation, right? You would have expected the volatility to go to the roof here. You would have expected gold at this point would be trading 2100. You know, if you think about it back in the old days when something came out, I mean, I, I, I was there during the, the first uh, Persian Gulf War and oil rallied like, Three, you know, like basically, I'm trying to remember in one day, $30 until it went limit up. And then that was it. They closed down the market. We're not seeing those kind of moves in terms of commodities. And in equities, I think you have certain volatility in certain equities. But really, if you look at the map right now, the ones that have reached 52 week lows have done it almost uniformly. And the ones that have reached 52 week highs have done that relatively un uniformly. And if you just take a look at the S&P 500, right? Right now as a benchmark from where we started to now i mean it, it had a nice beautiful run there uh from the the low in march after the you know mini bank crisis to its peak in july but really basically the volatility over the last several weeks has been non-existent so i'm, I'm not even sure what's up i think maybe the opposite maybe people are afraid right now of, of, of potential volatility, so they're staying out. I know there's a lot of cash, but I'm, you know, and that's just the theory I'm coming up with right now as I'm speaking. Okay, let me ask one more question. Maybe they're afraid of it, and maybe they're afraid of it, and see a 4.91% 10 year yield and just say, oh, free money. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, money market funds. Yeah, that's where we're Michelle, at. Michelle, I'll ask you another question a bit separate. Um, what's the what's the narrative like in Wall Street when it comes to crypto especially with you know Larry Fink doing his TV tour and the ETF uh, you know you could say it's, it's almost imminent um after the whole FTX uh, drama uh, where where crypto was laughed at is the sentiment changing is there a lot of institutions that are looking at coming into the market because we know the narrative in our own little crypto echo chambers and we think the narrative is positive and, and you know we the the, the the institutional players wall street is getting into the market we are getting better regulation better regulatory clarity despite the sec crackdown but i'm curious outside of our little bubble uh, how does uh, how does tradfi look at us 
Well, in my universe, it's positive. The the whole idea of an ETF, a spot ETF, um, and you know somebody like Kathy Wood, not that she has much credibility these days, but she does speak to a baby boomer type generation. Um, that looks at mass adoption. That sort of thing would actually, I think, give it credibility and bring people who would never trade it now because they would have no idea how to even open a crypto wallet. Um, I think it bring it would bring more bullishness because it would bring more interest into it. And then, of course, you're going to have people who would just say, well, I'm never going to understand it, especially as you're getting into the older uh, generations. And uh, and then you have people who, you know, who write me sometimes after I talk about Bitcoin. I did an article about it actually early this week um, and tell me that it's going to go the way of the, the dodo bird. You know, so I, I, I would say if I had to step back and look at the overall sentiment, I think people are intrigued. And I think that the mainstream Wall Street and particularly the, the older generation of right, older millennials, uh, the, the Gen Xers and, and the baby boomers themselves will be more interested, um, not so much for their own portfolios, but in the legacy that they're leaving for their children and, and grandchildren. When we speak to our older clients, that's the number one concern that they have right now is not so much making money for themselves, but preservation of capital, and then some aggressive risk opportunities to leave to their, um, their, to, to their, their um, ancestors, to their, not their ancestors, I'm sorry, the opposite of ancestors, to their future uh, generations. So there you go. I mean, I don't know if that's a great answer, but that's the, how the best I see it right now, which is why I go back to saying, at this point, we're still in adolescence. And we don't know if it's going to grow up to be a great adult <laughs> or a not so great adult. I'm guessing the former, though. Yeah, I'm curious, Jason. I want to go to you with another question. Um, how will the and this question we've discussed a lot before, and I'm not sure, Scott, if you've got further questions. But how's the next bull market going to look like? Um, you know, my my narrative has been obviously become really the way, etc. But uh, from a from a from a narrative perspective and obviously use cases and all that, that, that the, 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 the basic stuff that you'd always want to say, like, hey, we want some use cases, some real world use cases, something that makes sense. But will we see the same bull run as we saw previously, uh, number one? And number two, um, your thoughts on like different narratives. I'm a big fan of gaming, for example. Okay, you broke up a little bit there while you were, were talking. I think your question um, what will the next bull market look like? I mean, from a narrative perspective, is that correct? Narrative perspective and, and whether we're going to see a similar bull market to previous bull markets where it's just free for all and um, no one caring about regulation. Agreed dominating the, the bull run. Well, I mean, well, greed always dominates the bull run. I mean, that's just that's just part of the, the, part of the, uh, the course. Um, personally, you know, we always say those words are different, right? Uh, those words are, are dangerous. This time is is different. I do think uh, it's going to be different. I actually wrote a very long article um, yesterday. In fact, it got a bit out of control, two and a half thousand words long, uh, and published it just on what we saw with the, um, just that little test run with the ETF news yesterday. And I was just interested just to have a, just a little look under the hood at just some data, just, you know, nothing too serious just dive in a little bit, uh, top level, see what happened, see what moved, <clears throat> what reaction we got. And obviously, we all know it was very quick. It was over in minutes, really. But if you sit there and think about it, um, you know, this was one outlet. Okay, it's got a big following that was retweeted quickly. Uh, but the, the, that news was out there for a very short amount of time. And even people like myself, and I'm sure there were thousands of others, said, oh, we'd love this to be true, but I need a source. I need it now before I do anything. So, you know, I didn't react except trying to find more data. And I'm sure a lot of other people um, did the same thing. So, you know, in terms of the numbers of people who reacted, it was probably not that much. Um, and in fact, the uh, I think the, the volume for the day was 27 billion, I think it was. Um, go from memory here, don't, don't quote me. I think it was 27 up from about sort of 7 to 12, what it would be. Um, so there was a, was a move in just a few minutes. Now, that gave us just enough information to see what would happen if an ETF was approved. And I'm sure we've discussed this in great detail, but to me, that changed everything. Um, I'm not a big believer in technical analysis. In fact, Van and I have had this conversation a long time ago, actually, but we had this conversation about it. It's useful for certain things, but Bitcoin is very susceptible 
to outside events and, and, and world events in, in particular. And these happen all the time, particularly something that is, is so nascent and is so small. Um, you know, you think about it, it's a big thing, but it is very small. And um, that to me changed it because we saw we had this tiny little snippet of what might happen. And we you add that into the formula of um, it's very likely now that the, the ETF will be um, uh, will be approved and you know kind of extrapolate that with the data we've got. We are going to probably see an unprecedented move. And I do think that will kickstart a, a bull run, which will be different to before because it will just get silly for a while and people will try and trade into it. Some people will get it wrong. And that could shape quite a lot what happens after that. Really, all bets are off beyond there, but um, I think it will be different and will be ETF-led just based on that tiny little snippet of data. Just having that little insight is really useful. And by the way, I've made the article free to read, so if you have a look at my Twitter, you can go to the link there and have a look and see if you agree or disagree. Scott, any thoughts? No, I think actually... Pretty, pretty well covered. You still, it. by the way, you, I remember. I remember. I'll never forget one of the most memorable things you said on the show is that debate we had about um, um, how the next bull market will look like. And me, you, Ryan disagreed. Like uh, me and Ryan were saying, regulation will will make it different to previous bull runs. It won't be as messy. It won't be as crazy. It won't be as as free for all. And you're like, no, humans. I are think humans. it'll be huge. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll. I think it'll be absolutely massive. We'll be laughing about these conversations because humans are gonna be humans, and greed will take over, and speculation, and people will be creating new memes that uh, they can yolo into and see go a thousand x. Listen, I mean, macro market cycles have continued to repeat, although larger and potential, and perhaps a bit smaller than the ones that we see in crypto. I don't see any reason why this one would be particularly dampened, and and really. Every time you you guys aren't in the U.S., so I'm surprised that you have that that opinion. In the U.S., it's easy, I think, to get really down on crypto because of the state of regulation and legislation and just how much it seems that they're cracking down and how much pressure on it. But I mean, like you head out of the United States going to Singapore for token 2049 last month, for example, and it's like what bear market, right? People are still really exciting. They're excited. They're building Stan Bateman-Fried is like uh, some guy who committed fraud over there in the United States. They don't even talk about him or care about him, right? They don't talk about Gary Gensler. I just think that uh, there's nothing more bullish. Uh, there's nothing that gets people involved or excited about a market more than high prices, right? So prices go up. That brings uh, higher prices because it brings more people in and the same cycles that humans have repeated all of the past will will repeat again here. So yeah, I think that we will see monster alt seasons the same way we did in the past for better or for worse i think we'll see bitcoin make new highs and uh you know just got to be patient and wait till it happens i've never i've never asked you my life on it but that's my core case i've never asked you about narratives any narratives that interest you because i've heard you say what we've just said now but is there anything specific is is DeFi 3.4.0 quite a few all right what are they yeah yeah quite a few i actually i think that uh we'll see all of the narratives of past cycles uh, play out more completely in, in future cycles. It'll just mature, right? The, like you just said, I think we'll see a better version of DeFi. I think we'll see a the original promise of NFTs coming to fruition. I'm not talking about PFPs and 10,000 collections of cartoons. I'm talking about real world assets being tokenized. I actually had a conversation this morning on YouTube with Sandy Call from Franklin Templeton. She's one of my favorite people. Obviously, they're one of the largest asset managers in the world. And one of the few like Fidelity that's been extremely forward thinking on crypto and what it can do. And every time I talk to her, I get more more incredibly bullish. The things that they're building as an institution already uh, to take advantage of the promise of NFTs and tokenized assets. People don't realize that they Franklin Templeton has already has a market cap of $300 million of tokenized U.S. treasuries and T-bills that are being traded. That market already is over a billion dollars uh, in total AUM. Maple Finance, a lot of people may have heard Sid Powell talk about this, is a big player in that space. But you're talking about one of the largest asset managers in the world is already tokenizing and trading T-bills. Massively, right? Three hundred million drop in the bucket for them, but that's pretty large for the crypto space for something that nobody's talking about. We saw J.P. Morgan, obviously, in their Onyx platform, facilitating a transfer of a dig of a tokenized money market account from BlackRock to Barclays, 
right? I mean, this is really happening. That allows for a, a faster transfer, a cheaper transfer, but more importantly, it allows these institutions to use these assets more efficiently as collateral, which is all they really want, right? So I, I think that the real world asset narrative will be big in this cycle, but much like probably previously hyped cycles, maybe we really see it come to fruition in two cycles, right? So I think that a lot of the things that we saw in the past, we're going to see coming back. Gaming obviously is a huge narrative, I think, coming into the cycle. Again, it was just too early. So we just need sort of, you know, to see one AAA game maker really adopt this or to see a blockchain native AAA game built. But um I think we just saw very early iterations of the huge narratives of future cycles in, in past cycles. It just was early and we weren't ready yet. Talking about gaming, if one of our portfolio companies, Big Time, just launched uh, a couple of weeks ago and they're doing great, which was beautiful to see in a bull market. Uh, sorry, in a bear market. I'm big, big fan of gaming. Probably my biggest focus right now. And I was, I was uh, that that funny speech you guys were talking about when me on Coin Telegraph on the panel two days ago, Yatsu was there as well, um, obviously leading the way when it comes to Web3 gaming. Um, so yeah, a narrative that I'm really interested in, and also tokenization you of to a guy like that talk. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was saying, you listen to a guy like that talk, it's hard to be bearish. Yeah, Gorav, who's a friend of, of both of ours, and he told me he he was so stubborn when it came to NFTs when we spoke about NFTs. Very stubborn, kept laughing at me whenever I talked about NFTs. Now he's more bullish about it. And he told me two days ago, he's like, because he keep he's friends with a guy and he keeps listening to him. He's like, Mario, the more I listen to Yat, I think now I'm more bullish on NFTs than you are. Um, and, and obviously NFTs, digital ownership, metaverse, which I know is, is got a bad, anything gets a bad rap, I become a big fan of, because that's, that's when it gets interesting. It's like, when it gets a massive hype, everyone's talking about it like AI right now, I, I kind of get turned off. And then when AI becomes like, you know, the laughing stock and no, everyone's laughing at anyone that invested in AI, then I'll be interested and I'll start looking into it. So obviously metaverse right now, uh, fascinating to me. NFT is concept of digital ownership. You know, and when we say NFTs, I'm not talking about PFPs, even though I'm, I'm also interested in PFPs and digital identity. Uh, but NFTs in general, Web3 gaming, and, uh, you know, try to find tokenizing. And you kind of gave great examples in that uh, in that area. It's not my area of expertise, uh, but it's one I'm really interested in. So that's why I'm, I'm at the concept of tokenization. Um, also security tokens, STOs, which have been the token town back in 2018. Everyone was excited about them. Then they died down. I think that would be uh, uh, something worth uh, uh, looking into further, especially as, as more and more uh, players want to, I uh, want to play by the rules. What about the concept of utility tokens? I'm not sure if Lloyd, Eth, Lloyd, you're there. Lloyd, do you think the concept of utility tokens, how's that going to look like uh, in the next bull market? Is is that still going to be a thing, a, a utility token when you when you first launch a project off off the off off uh, off the, immediately as soon as you launch it, uh, immediately becomes uh, a, a utility token instead of a security. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know what, what what's going to become a thing. I mean, like, there's a lot of ways that these could that concept could be used in a way that might make sense to me, but that's not like on my radar of what we're going to see in terms of NFTs. Like, I'm working with a few companies that are tokenizing real world assets, and that's a really exciting space right now. I'll say that. I mean, like, looking forward, looking, it's almost like everybody in that in that space is looking around at each other, like this. You know, do, do people realize what, what the world's going to look like in the future? It just, it doesn't look like that yet. Um, and so it's a real opportunity, I think. Yeah, appreciate it. Scott, um, I think that's a, it's a good recap for the day. I think it's much new. We can talk about the ETF, I think, tomorrow. Uh, get a, a couple of our panelists that have been covering the ETF uh, for, for, uh, for the last few months. Um, but I think it's today is a, is a good recap. I agree. I'm literally staring at the charts of, treasuries right now just marveling 4.9% on the 10 year 5.24% on the 2 year i haven't even looked but donish just uh, said i saw tweeted 5.017% on the 30 year i mean just a step. well i've also hey donish I, I see you out there i'm looking at the um coin market cap i didn't know again because i've been in the whole war coverage but i didn't know bitcoin's up 4% in the last 7 days eth is barely is just barely up 0.2% it's unchanged so we are right, seeing I mean, that, 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 that recycling that, that from alts to Bitcoin. Yeah. 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 If you look at the, you know, the kind of going back to the original topic before we conclude, if you look at the cycles, this is a time when you would expect sort of uh, altcoins to suffer against Bitcoin uh, as the liquidity and, and volume is sucked out of the market. I just think the reality is that if you do believe in the having narrative or if you don't, the re right now, there's just extremely low 
volatility, extremely low interest in the space for, for investors, extremely low volume, extremely low liquidity for various reasons. And so, you know, small things can make for relatively large moves, but they're usually very, very short-lived. And without massive amounts of new money in the space, you know, as Ben Cowan was talking about yesterday, you just sort of get this recycling of alts into Bitcoin, Bitcoin into alts, depending on what the narrative of the day is. I think it's clear that's what we saw two days ago, that fake Bitcoin spot ETF news. Yeah, we saw a lot of volume on Bitcoin. We saw a massive move up. But if you looked at uh, what was happening with altcoins, they were just getting destroyed on their Bitcoin pairs, which means people were selling their altcoins to buy Bitcoin, not necessarily taking their dry powder from the sidelines that they might not have. So but the, I think it's just that part of the cycle. Yeah. And um, by the way, I just thought I'd look at, I know we've, uh, don't laugh, but I looked at Frentech to see what's happening there. Because then it's kind of it's kind of died down. No one's mentioned it, and obviously I'm like, is it because I forgot, I forgot about? Yeah, it. I'm like, is it because of, of I was covering the war, or, or is it because no one's talking about it anymore? But the metrics are pretty interesting. Um, uh, USD inflows are like nothing. I think yesterday was October 80 today, so far 300k. And the last couple of days was outflows of a few hundred k. TVL is still at 40 something mil. But what's fascinating is that I can't believe this is still higher than the NFT uh, ecosystem. That's crazy to me. That I was just telling, I was just telling my, my uh, Jenny, you know Jenny. I was just telling her yesterday. Um, I was like, she doesn't know anything about crypto. She just knows what when she hears me in the background doing my shows and stuff. So she knows the basics. Uh, or when I'm speaking at events, that's about it. And I was telling her, Jenny, it's just crazy, crazy how far the market. The same way it pumps like crazy. It's insane how far it drops. It's insane that people are sitting on a portfolio with billions. Now, you know, that portfolio is discounted by 90, 95%. Valuations are cut. Stop, by looking, stop looking at my portfolio, man. It's no, but up. isn't it? It's like we're used to it. But it's insane to imagine that two, three years ago, people walking around, sitting at their portfolio of NFTs, whatever it is, thinking they're on top of the world, they're set for life. And then a few months later, just because they held on everything and they believed in it, a few months later, a year later, <laughs> they're again trying to make, you know, trying to make, I, I saw an NFT. Um, I, I, I don't know if this is correct. I did see it on, someone tweeted out, um, a zombie punk got sold for $600,000, $700,000. That did just happen just a couple of days ago. So there's still are. That's a bad thing, that, you know, Scott. You, Scott made, that's a bad thing. that argument a thousand times. Scott, yeah, that's well, a bad that, thing. Is that low? That's extremely low. You're talking about a zombie punk. A zombie punk, and I don't find you what Lizzie, you think like, that sounds yeah, very laughable. This is like the rarest punks. Like you having a zombie punk is like a mass in the bull market, even now, but in the bull market, having a zombie punk is an incredible flex. Like you become immediately celebrity in crypto. So, which is the whole concept of a digital identity. That's what the concept is. You find it funny, I don't care. It is what it is. So a zombie punk is like owning a Rolex, a one of one Rolex, a one of five Rolex. So it's a it's a massive flex. And when I saw one sold for six seven hundred k, I'm like, wow, we're in that bad of a bear market. Um, funny that my funny funny that my gut instinct was, holy crap, NFTs are back, baby, six hundred k for a picture, right? And yeah, uh, I guess I didn't know that that's actually a bad thing. The, the, like if we're uh, still paying six hundred k for pictures, then look at this, look at this. No, no, look at this. I'll tell you this. Uh, there's punk six two five six two seven five. Oh, similar to my name, uh, my number just mixed up. Uh, but it sold um, in I don't know how many month, how many years ago, but it sold for five million dollars. I'm looking at the, that was and that was the ninth most expensive punk sold. The the most expensive punk sold a a, a zombie one. Um, there's alien zombie and, and the monkey one. They're the most expensive ones, but yeah, this is the, the most expensive alien one was sold for, I don't know if zombie means alien. Maybe it does. Maybe there's no alien. It's zombie, but the most expensive one alien was sold uh, for $23 million. Mm. Imagine. I, I got nothing for you, man. Like, uh, you know, Remember what I told you, humans, we're going to human. Seeing things like that makes me quite sure we're going to see another cycle. Like just imagine something sold for that much now, it's less than a million. Uh, I, I'll, I'll try to see if... Imagine, imagine, imagine looking at, I don't know, like a mansion on the water in Miami, like 10,000 square feet on an acre with a boat and thinking, you know what? I'm going to buy this picture. I don't want that house. It, it's, that's insane. 
I'm sorry. It's insane. Uh, the 69 million people. I mean, listen, we saw that. If ever there was like a greater example of human greed and stupidity, we got to at least uh, got to be there in real time and see it. That blows my mind. $20 million for punk. I literally thought 600,000 was like, holy crap, there's still people willing to pay $600,000 for a picture. Yeah. If I look at the value, how much it's worth now, I'm just trying to see the value of it. Um, I think valuation 3,200 ETH. How much is that? Can you do the math? $17. <laughs> no, no, 3,200 ETH. That's too much. Let me see how much that is. That's No, that's the last sale price. Sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know what the value is now. There's a website that kind of uh, estimated price 129,000. No way. There's a website, Adaptrader, apparently makes estimates. Uh, there's one, I think it's the same one, uh, 5822. They're valuing, they're valuing it at. $129,000. Last sale price, $12.5 million. They're valuing it $130,000. I mean, if you look at the chart of any given lesser known altcoin, they're down 99 plus percent. That's crazy. Their highs, right? So but this is why the NFT market would be any different. This is where it gets tricky though on cryptos. Like, you know, the, the people that made their money is the people that, you know, held through bear markets and waited for the bull market. Like, this is the strategy. I was just talking to an investor about the whole thing. I don't know. I would say the guys who made their money are the ones who sold a, a picture to some moron for $21 million. But hey, whatever. That's insane. All right. I think we've, um, we, 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 we should probably continue that conversation privately. Um, We'll see you. Yeah, we'll sorry. Tomorrow. I mean, to some, to some absolute genius who one day will recoup all of those losses on that amazing picture. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. See you tomorrow. Bye.